Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me, um, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. And you can check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. I want to say thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope you have enjoyed the episodes. I hope you share them with other people. If for some reason you're listening to an episode and you have to leave or go and do something, all the episodes are archived on all those different platforms as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, this morning I am speaking with a young writer of speculative fiction. Um, The book is called The Year of the Witching, and her name is Alexis Henderson. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I didn't know. I, I didn't do an offering this morning. Should I? Should I get my crystal and like prick my finger so that we have a good interview? What should I do this morning? No offerings necessary. I feel like the good vibes and good juju are already flowing, so I think I think we're good. Okay. Good. 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 So t- this book. Tell the audience a little bit about it. Uh, so The Year of the Witching um, is a dark fantasy slash horror novel, um, and it follows uh, a young girl named Emmanuel who grows up in a puritanical uh, theocracy, um, and it's led by this uh, sort of domineering prophet. Um, and one day, Emmanuel wanders into the forbidden forest that surrounds her commune home, and there she encounters the spirits of uh, four witches, um, and through them she uncovers dark secrets about her past, her dead mother, um, and the religion that she's grown up in. Um, so it, it's kind of gothic and a little bit gory at times. Um, and, it, yeah, it grapples with a lot of things like feminism and uh, religious persecution and abuse um, and cults and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of blood going on in here. you got a lot of sacrifice. That's why I brought it up in the beginning. Like, actually, both sides are sacrificing. And uh, it's funny. It's like sometimes people are in this bubble, and it's like you're doing exactly what the other side is doing as well. Did you do that purposely? Like the the, the prophet is sacrificing the the lamb, and then um, Emmanuel she doesn't sacrifice a person, but she um, does cut herself. So there's somebody else that does make a sacrifice. I don't want to bring that up because that kind of ruins the story for people. Did you purposely have both sides dealing with this blood situation thing going on, and also menstrual cycles as well? Yes. Yeah. So that was definitely intentional. I. I wanted a magic system that had a cost, um, and to me, a blood sacrifice um, just made sense. Um, and so I, I had this sort of idea where people were trying to reach um, some type of power, and they have different pathways to that power and different approaches, um, but the blood sacrifice um, is what is required 
to access some sort of like supernatural power. So it is kind of like two sides of the same coin um, or parallel pathways to accessing power that maybe one could argue is the same or has the same origin place. Um, the dark mother and the father, they kind of have to, um, those are the two gods in my book, essentially. Um, they kind of both are required to exist in order to, um, for the other to exist. So it's intrinsically connected. Um, and yeah, that, that was something that was fascinating to me uh, because they're both opposites and yet uh, sort of the same. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why I was like brought it up because I'm like, you're doing blood stuff. They're doing blood stuff. What's the difference? And like, why is yours not witchcraft, but theirs is witchcraft? Uh, another thing you talk about is the, the male is light and the female is dark. Um, and even the space that they um, inhabit, if you will, the the male is they have the fields it's kind of open and then there's this dark wood um i, I found that as i was reading i was getting a little angry i have to say i was like not at you but at the the world you were creating <laughs> you know um did you see that in other writings did you decide to make the light dark uh, how how did that come about so um, I think that, like, light and darkness is, like, such a common trope, especially in fantasy and horror, right? And I I was interested in kind of examining that myself. Um, but I, I, I had a lot of, like, reservations. Um, so primarily one of them that I've always thought was a little bit kind of colorist and borderline racist was this idea that everything white is good and everything is dark is mm-hmm. bad. Um, and yeah, I was, since say, I was yes. kind of a... Pro- yeah, so it was something that I was kind of bothered by. And, and like, even in, in our world, when you, you know, people say, like, they parallel everything evil with darkness, and I, I was so troubled by that. And so in this book, told from the perspective of, you know, a, a mixed race, but, you know, a girl who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, black, that's how she presents to the world, I'm um, wondering what the repercussions of growing up in a society that um, demonizes everything dark uh, would be for her. Um, and then um, along with that, there's also the society is strictly patriarchal. Um, and because of that, they favor um, men. And there's this, um, this idea that women are manipulated, ma- manipulative and evil and, and dark, you know, and another negative in, in this culture, they parallel everything that um, they don't like with darkness. Um, and so uh, it kind of creates this double whammy for, for my main character because she's both black and a woman. So she's like kind of the lowest rung mm-hmm. of society. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was definitely something I wanted to examine as someone kind of realizing the sickness of this uh, really binary polarizing uh, belief system where everything that is other is inherently evil. How long did it take you to write the book? Um, actually, you know, not that long. So I wrote it over um, my last semester of my senior year in college. Uh, the first act of the book, uh, roughly the first act of the book, was actually my senior thesis um, that I graduated with uh, from the University of South Carolina at Beaufort. Um, so, yeah, I wrote it in like four or five months, just shot. Yeah, yeah, actually, no, three or four months, three or four months, yeah. Wow. So th- how long have you been writing in general? Like when you first started writing, do you remember the story? Do you have the story still? Do you have like the book or journal that you were using? Yeah, I'm actually looking at them right now. I'm, I'm in the process of organizing my book. So they're actually sitting in front of me. This like stack of 
um, of journals where I, I wrote down early ideas. I remember um, the, the place where I wrote the first sentences of the year of the witching, and they never really changed that much. Um, I was sitting in the tutoring center at my college because I was a writing tutor, um, and I didn't have a student for that, uh, like, half hour or quarter. And I just, I just sat there and kind of started writing. Um, so, yeah, I keep journals, but it really is kind of like, it's kind of just like, I'm, I'm rushing through the process. So it's like whatever's around me, whether that's a napkin or the back of a receipt or oftentimes my notes app on my phone. It's like one of my favorite places to write. I just type everything into my notes app. Um, and then I come home, if I'm out, like when I was at school, I would come home from a day of uh, classes and I would have to like transcribe all of these random notes that I wrote, like in the margins of my um, college notes or, or whatever it would be, and I would transcribe it all into a Word document. Now, this is interesting. You're a young writer, and um, just what you described about even the process of you, where you write is interesting. And you said, I write them in the notes of my phone. Uh, and I've had so many writers on different ages, but I will say, like, the older writers, when they maybe first started writing, um, they were still writing uh, in books and using pens <laughs> and paper. Yeah. Um, but, but it was interesting that you just now said, oh, I write them in the notes of my phone. And so how has technology helped you with your writing uh, in terms of maybe research, in terms of um, even the cover of the book? Um, let's talk about that. How did you come up with the cover? Who, who illustrated that? Uh, so, so it's, when it comes to technology, it's, it's hu hugely helpful to me. And actually, I can tie this to the cover of my book um, because I, I'm a big fan of kind of like going online when I do my research and finding images uh, that correspond with what I see in my head. Um, so when it came time to create the cover of the book, my editor was like, do you have any ideas? And I was able to link to this like massive Pinterest board full of like it was two public years' worth of pictures that I had assembled just by researching for my book. And I never thought this would come in handy. I never thought I would share it with anyone. Um, but I think that it's like I, I wonder sometimes if technology has allowed me to expedite the process of creation um, in that, like, I'm able to sort of more rapidly develop ideas because of all of the uh, – all the materials I had access to, pictures and images, and I can Google anything that I want um, and kind of tour the world uh, through the Internet. And so it's, it's, it's immensely helpful. It's, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I, I read somewhere that you bought a book that was 1,000 pages long and it had 5,000 spells in it. Have you tried any of the spells, and what happened? <laughs> I most certainly have, yes, I have. Um, and it was a really handy book. Um, I originally just bought it strictly for research for the Year of the Witching. Um, I, I didn't – the magic system in the Year of the Witching wasn't directly inspired by any real-world practice. However, I was interested in the ways that people practice magic in our world just as I was building my own magic system from scratch. So I researched, and then – um, yeah, I, I kind of started to dabble a little bit myself um, and practice a little bit myself. And I used, like, I think mostly, like, really, I don't, I don't want to say mild spells. No spells, like, mild, but, like, um, cleansing spells and spells like that. I uh, moved into a new apartment, and, you know, I, I did the, the ritual with sage and, and I think I, burning rosemary even. Um, yeah, to just make sure, again, I want good vibes, good juju, good vibes. <laughs> Definitely. I can understand. You don't want anybody's old SHIT left, <laughs> left in there. Go away. Um, you talked about this witchcraft 
and I want to say, you know, witchcraft in the real world is happening, but also in a negative way. I'm not sure if you're familiar, like in Uganda, they're sacrificing children, like today, yes. in this day and age, uh, because they believe the negative aspect of witchcraft, like they think witchcraft is bad, and they, they're using children as sacrifice. Had you read about that before your writing? Um, did you know about that information? Yeah, pretty extensively. I, I researched um, a few years before I started re- writing The Year of the Witching. Um, I was working on this short story, uh, and it was actually uh, kind of um, about about that. It was about a child. She's albino, and she was, um, yeah, she was uh, to be, um, you know, sacrificed. Or someone was coming after her to sacrifice or use her body parts for witchcraft in Tanzania. So um, I was researching that. When I found out about that, it was long before I had even an inkling to write The Year of the Witching, but I was, like, horrified um, that, that, that this was, like, yeah, a, a thing. Um, I do think that, like, in The Year of the Witching, I'm, I was kind of more focused on um, witchcraft being um, the religion that is more persecuted against, so it's kind of a different way of looking at it. But I think that both mm-hmm. instances are a real testament to the fact that, you know, religion can be used as a tool to express violence and the horror of that which is certainly kind of at the heart of my book. Um. Yeah, I mean, um, we were talking about parallels earlier, and I thought about, um, I mean, this is a sensitive area. People think about, like, Israel and Palestine, but that's an ongoing battle. Um, and they have a lot of similarities in the, both the cultures that's parallel, and it's just so interesting how people want to point fingers, but it's like if you stop, these realize that we're actually doing the same thing. Um, you come up with some witch names, and one of them is Lilith. Um, and I was reading about Lilith. She was actually the first wife um, of Jesus. Is, is that correct? Um, and um, what else did you find out about Lilith in your research? Well, I had actually heard that she was the first, allegedly the first wife of um, Adam. Um, Adam. Oh, Adam. Adam. Eve. Okay, um, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Adam. And that she was mm-hmm. like deemed not a good wife, and so Eve was the <laughs> Eve was the next runner-up, I guess, and kind of took her place. Uh, I did some research. I, I was fascinated by the myths about Lilith being like mother of monsters, but to be honest, um, I'd heard vague things in passing about Lilith, um, and then when I was looking for names for the book without kind of consciously thinking about the myths that I had heard of in the past. I just like, I was like, oh, Lilith seems fitting for this character. And it was only afterward when I kind of re- revisited the myths about Lilith that I was like, oh, this is quite, um, it's, it's quite interesting that I settled on that name because, yeah, she is the mother of monsters and kind of have known to have brought in, um, like, these kind of like dark creatures or entities into the world. And I think that, you know, in my book, Lilith is sort of the mother of the plagues in that way. Um, she's kind of bringing bringing this power into the world, um, in a sense. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And you have some and other I, I, witches I as well. You have yeah. some other witches as well. Tell us about those um, other witches, Delilah and uh, Lyell, if I'm pronou- I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But Delilah, Tell them Jael, about the other witches. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I refer to, yeah, I refer to, um, there's a pair, they're lovers, I just call them the lovers. Honestly, half the time I forget their separate names because to me they're kind of like this united <laughs> entity the lovers in my okay. head, um, and I, I was fascinated with them. I was fascinated with this kind of, like, carnal energy that exuded from them, that there's a scene where Emmanuel comes upon them, and they're having this kind of, like, romantic um, moment, let's say, in the, in the woods, they're entangled with each other, and it was one of my favorite scenes to write in the book. So uh, I, I think 
the lovers can be represented as kind of like um, feminine, like sexuality kind of being expressed. Um, and then there's Delilah. Um, to me, she's more of the tragic figure. I kind of always think of her as um, almost like the little one of the witches, like, like the, the, almost like the one that needs protecting in a way, or maybe that's just how I feel about her. Um, and she's yeah, an entity Yeah, I don't know. I've never talked about this, but I've always felt that way about her. Like, she's the little one, like the ones that that all the other witches would probably try to protect in a way. Um, There's like a childlike almost innocence about her that I think makes her tragic and and sympathetic. Because, you know, like Delilah was like in the Old Testament or something, and she stole, um, what was it, Samson's, she found out about Samson's hair hair and his power. So um, in that sense, she was... um, I guess, larger than life or something. But either way, the book actually shows for me there are instances instances where the man is manipulating the woman. And actually, I think overall, because of the, uh, if you want to call it a cult society, the society at Bethel, it, the man is at the head and he's actually manipulating everybody and their thoughts and, and telling them stories about like what's beyond the borders and, and things of that nature. And, but it's not true. Um, but they're saying it's the women that are bad. So it, isn't that crazy? Right. Um, you know, in real life we see things happening where, you know, a woman say gets assaulted and then it's her fault, you know, because of what she was yes. wearing, what time of the night she was out, um, who she was with, all these things are questioned. And, and then the guy is like, Oh, I don't know anything. She said yes. Um, well, she she invited me into the room and, you know, like, hello, what? You don't have any control? <laughs> I don't right, know what yeah. your thoughts are. I, I was on, interested. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely interested in, in, in kind of looking at that because I do think that people point fingers, and I think there's this connotation that women are cunning and manipulative and seductive, right? But men, men do a lot of manipulating too. It's just a different kind of – not not even just a different form. Men manipulate. People manipulate. Um, and there is no, like, gender binary where, where, like, one, you know, party is manipulative and cunning and seductive and the other isn't. I think it's just, like, people attain power um, through underhanded ways. And and um, in the year of the witching, I was really kind of more focused on the ways that the men in the society were doing that. Because the witches were kind of honest. They weren't right, but they were honest. They weren't trying to make the plague seem like a good thing. They just kind of expressed their anger as it was, and they weren't, I didn't feel trying to necessarily manipulate um, Emmanuel. They were trying to, to show her the truth. Yeah, there's a lot of generational things going on in terms of trauma and the way you're supposed to be because you came from this certain family. In your life, are there things that your parents or your family thought you should be but you didn't, you didn't agree with and, and, and you went a different way? Um, so... My parents now today, they're very, very accepting of me, which I'm, I'm fortunate to have that. I think that in some ways my parents and I, we grew up alongside each other. You know, you hit this age, normally it's in like teenage years where you realize your parents are just humans and that they're still growing up. And I, um, that kind of was a direct inspiration for the year of the witching, right? Because Emmanuel um, is kind of the same age as her mother when her mother dies and when this book begins. So she's kind of seeing her mother not as a mother, but as like a peer or a human being flawed, just like she is. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I much relate to that kind of experience. Um, it was the same with me and my parents. Like, I don't think any parent-child um, relationship is perfect, but I do think there is something kind of perfect in this 
realization where you look at your parents for the first time and realize, oh, my God, they're just a human. Like, they're flawed, and they're still growing up at, like, 35 or 40 or 50. Um, and when I'm 45 or 50, I will still be growing up as well. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard, though, for some people to see their parents as humans. Some people go through their whole life that the parents are on a pedestal. Um, and there's, like, a dissonance of they think you can't really handle accepting the parent as a human, you know, um, and, and, and vice versa. Parents yeah. may put their child on the pedestal with their dreams and hopes into the child, thinking the child's going to be this, that, and the other when they're born, and then they go some other way. And the parents have to also accept or not accept that way the child went, you know. Um, I'm a parent, and as a, as a, as a parent, I, I can understand. I have both situations, you know. Um, there were things that I thought my daughter was going to do and then she didn't do and I had to adjust and then she went a different way and same with her. She had to learn about me as as a human, you know, so I think that goes no matter where you are uh, in Bethel or in real life. Who are some writers that you look up to um, that maybe you would like to talk to one day or, you know, have some tea or coffee with? <laughs> Um, so the one that always comes up to me that I just, I'm, I'm in awe of her work is N.K. Jemison, author of the fifth season and the Broken Earth trilogy. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. absolutely a, a fantastic, I mean, I, I think she's the best of her generation and she's like, to me, one of the best writers alive right now. And I, I, her books, um, her books just move me in, in, in such a deep way. Um, so yeah, honestly, if I, if I could even just like tell her for that, um, it would be enough. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. another one that I'm anybody I, I'm a else huge fan of. That I know. Oh, uh, Anthony Bourdain. I, I know he's not strictly just a, a writer, but um, he does a lot of or did a lot of other things. And I know I obviously won't have the chance to talk to him, unfortunately, because he passed. But he was someone um, who, yeah, I think I just looked up to and really admired. I think the writers that I really admire, like I admire their their spirit or some type of like tenacity or strength in addition to just their work. And I think that both of them sort of fit that bill for me. Um, yeah. How has yeah. religion impacted your life? Are you very religious? And if so, what religion are you practicing? If you mind talking about it. Oh yeah. So I, I there's not really much to talk about. I'm not religious. Um, I grew up like very pretty conservative religious. I was homeschooled and um, had brief brushes with fundamentalist Christianity. So that was a part of my upbringing for um, not even for a time, almost my entire, you know, my entire childhood, we were Christian. Um, but I'm not anymore. I just, I just sort of dabble um, as I see fit in things that make me curious, which is normally like witchcraft, occulty stuff. But um, yeah, I don't even think that my religion has like a, a neat label at this point. I don't think I practice anything. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just like a, a religious refugee. Let's say that. I just kind of wander and I'm curious about all of it. But I, but I, I don't actively sort of, yeah, have one um, place where I, I make my home. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm you, fascinated by religion. And... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, oh, no, I thought I'd be fascinated by religion um, for sure. Always will be. Um, we were talking earlier about um, cheesesteaks. Um, what are some of your other favorite foods that you like to eat? What's, like, your junk food that you would go to? Oh, junk food. Okay. So uh, let me think. What do I, I really, really, really love sweets. Uh, and I don't even want to call it junk food because to me, like 
I love like a, a mochi with like red stuffed with like red bean paste is, is something that I could just constantly, constantly eat. I love uh, <laughs> uh, popcorn. I love cake, brownies, that sort of thing. So if I'm going to get something kind of junky, it's that. Um, for mm. entrees and stuff like that, I really love Korean food. So like uh, a few weeks ago, my partner and I, we made like a beef bulgogi with ribeye steak and it was truly one of the best meals I've had in recent memory. Amazing. Um, so, so yeah. do you eat kimchi? Do you eat kimchi? All the time. Yeah, it's always in my yeah, all fridge. All the time? All the time. All the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember the first time with the kimchi. I was like, what? It's what? Can you tell me? I'm like looking at the description on the menu board. I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I've eaten so many different types of food as well. And um, I, I tried and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Now I understand. So it's okay to try different things. <laughs> For sure, for sure, it's so good. Yeah, the heat takes you by surprise at first, and then, but then it's like, yeah, it's a, it's so delicious, um, and I just feel like it goes with everything. Um, can I mean, you I, bake? I, I you said you like cakes and stuff. Can, can you bake? I'm a terrible you know baker. Bake? I'm a You're terrible, terrible baker. baker. Well, really so you got to go to the store. What about your partner? Yeah, or I make I make my partner do it. <laughs> my partner do the baking. She's great. She's a good baker. Um, and she likes it. So she makes like macarons and stuff like that, and I I eat them. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So so where do you like to travel now that we're going to be hopefully more open and able to? Where would you like to go? Um, I have the tickets to two vacations at the moment. One um is in Alaska, so we're going to. Um, wow, flying to Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm very excited. Alaska's on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to Alaska. It was like a tippy top of my travel list for a long time now. So I want to go to Alaska and I'm also going to New Orleans, which I'm, I think probably equally excited about. I'm, I'm, I've always wanted to visit New Orleans as well. Um, so we'll be heading down there, uh, too. And I'm very excited. New Orleans is a place where I'm just going to eat. Like that's my main focus. I just, I just want to eat. Um, I was just looking at restaurants today. Yeah. Um, so. Are you going to Are you going to um, when it's really hot? Or are you going cold? What, what time of the year are you going? I think it you know, is it November, so it shouldn't be cold. It should be an off season, which is um, good because I'll be able to walk uh, more. Um, yeah, yeah, there won't be so many people around and everything. So, what's coming exactly. up next for you? Uh, what's the next book that you're going to be working on? Um, so it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say too much. But it's in the same vein. It's, it's gothic horror very bloody. Um, I think that, you know, people who are into sort of like uh, Crimson Peaks or uh, Mexican Gothic uh, by Sylvia Moreno Garcia, um, that kind of spirit is what you can um, expect from me next. So, Okay. And are you going to write anything other than fiction at one point? I, I read an essay you wrote um, and you were talking about fear and how fear was a constant companion for you. Is that still the case? Um, has writing helped you get over the fear or deal with the fear? Yeah, no, it's definitely still the case. I'm a deeply anxious person. Um, you know, I've, I've gone to therapy and I've, I've tried to work through it as best as I can, but I think that the fear is intrinsically attached to my curiosity and the things I like to write about. So in that way, I think that writing, I don't want to say has helped, but maybe it has. I think that in some ways it's, given me an outlet for this kind of inherent fear that I have. And so instead of feeling like I'm victim to it, I feel like I'm using it to kind of create. Um, and then that mm-hmm. is empowering. It's kind of taught me to make, yeah, a friend of my, of my fear. So. Yeah. 
a lot of people might be dealing with that issue, so I, I wanted to bring that up, and, and that way they can have some kind of avenue or option of coping with, you know, fear or anxiety because um, that happens to many people, um, and they may think they're by themselves, you know, dealing with this issue, but they're not, you know. So I, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show this morning, um, and I can't wait for the next book. I hope you come back and we can talk about the next book. And tell your partner, like, if she wants to mail anything to me that she's thinking, I'm open to <laughs> I will definitely tell her. She's always looking for people to test her suite. So, yeah, for yeah, sure, I'll I'm pass that tester. along. That's, that's what it is. I'm a tester. Exactly. Exactly. For important research role. Very important role. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very important. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great weekend, and I hope you have a wonderful time in Alaska. I'm so jealous. I can't imagine. Take pictures and post them uh, on your social media. Oh, tell them your social media um, handles um, uh, on, like, Twitter and things like that. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at, at Alex H. Writes, and Instagram, I'm Lexis, L-E-X-I-S-H. Um, and then my website is alexishenderson.com, but there isn't much on there, but, you know. <laughs> No, still, they can write, they can sign up for the newsletter on, on there and get and get uh, updates about the new book. So that would be good, That's right? That's true, true, very true, yes. All right, all right. Well, thank you, thank you, and I hope you have a great uh, two trips and a great weekend, okay? Okay, thank you so much for having me, Joy. It was a pleasure. All right, bye-bye. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Alexis Henderson. We were talking about her book, The Year of the Witching. I'm going to be giving away some copies of her book, so you want to follow me, at Joy Keys on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram. And also on Facebook now, I created a group, so uh, hopefully you'll get more updates. Uh, Facebook is just crazy with not allowing everybody on your you know page to get updates, but the group, everybody seems to get the updates more frequently. So check that out, and I hope you guys have a great weekend, and I will see you next week. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.